Section 24 of Part 3 of Religious Affections. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew James Gray. mjgray.id.au Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards. Section 24 of Part 3. Thus I have endeavoured to represent the evidence there is that Christian practice is the chief of all the signs of saving grace. Before I conclude this discourse, I would say something briefly in answer to two objections that may possibly be made by some against what has been said upon this head. Objection 1. Some may be ready to say this seems to be contrary to that opinion so much received among good people, that professors should judge of their state chiefly by their inward experience, and that spiritual experiences are the main evidences of true grace. I answer, it is doubtless a true opinion, and justly much received among good people, that professors should chiefly judge of their state by their experience. But it is a great mistake that what has been said is at all contrary to that opinion. The chief sign of grace to the consciences of Christians, being Christian practice, in the sense that has been explained, and according to what has been shown to be the true notion of Christian practice, is not at all inconsistent with Christian experience being the chief evidence of grace. Christian or holy practice is spiritual practice, and that is not the motion of a body that knows not how, nor when, nor wherefore it moves. But spiritual practice in man is the practice of a spirit and body jointly, or the practice of a spirit animating, commanding and actuating a body to which it is united, and over which it has power given it by the Creator. And therefore the main thing in this holy practice is the holy action of the mind, directing and governing the motions of the body. And the motions of the body are to be looked upon as belonging to Christian practices only secondarily, and as they are dependent and consequent on the acts of the soul. The exercises of grace that Christians find, or are conscious to within themselves, are what they experience within themselves, and herein therefore lies Christian experience. And this Christian experience consists as much in those operative exercises of grace in the will that are immediately concerned in the management of the behaviour of the body as in other exercises. These inward exercises are not the less a part of Christian experience because they have outward behaviour immediately connected with them. A strong act of love to God is not the less a part of spiritual experience because it is the act that immediately produces and effects some self-denying and expensive outward action, which is much to the honour and glory of God. To speak of Christian experience and practice as if they were two things, properly and entirely distinct, is to make a distinction without consideration or reason. Indeed, all Christian experience is not properly called practice, but all Christian practice is properly experience. And the distinction that is made between them is not only an unreasonable, but an unscriptural distinction. Holy practice is one kind or part of Christian experience, and both reason and scripture represent it as the chief and most important and most distinguishing part of it. So it is represented in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. Did not thy father eat and drink, and do justice and judgment, 
he judged the cause of the poor and needy was not this to know me saith the lord our inward acquaintance with god surely belongs to the head of experimental religion but this god represents as consisting chiefly in that experience which there is in holy practice so the exercises of those graces of the love of god and the fear of god are a part of experimental religion but these the scripture represents as consisting chiefly in practice in those forementioned texts one john chapter five verse three this is the love of god that we keep his commandments two john verse six this is love that we walk after his commandments psalm thirty four verse eleven etc come ye children and i will teach you the fear of the lord depart from evil and do good such experiences as these hezekiah took comfort in chiefly on his sickbed when he said remember o lord i beseech thee how i have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and such experiences as these the psalmist chiefly insists upon in the one hundred nineteenth psalm and elsewhere such experiences as these the apostle paul mainly insists upon when he speaks of his experiences in his epistles as romans chapter one verse nine god is my witness whom i serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son 2 corinthians chapter 1 verse 12 for our rejoicing is this the testimony of our conscience that by the grace of god we have had our conversation in the world chapter 4 verse 13 we having the same spirit of faith according as it is written i have believed and therefore have i spoken we also believe and therefore speak chapter 5 verse 7 we walk by faith and not by sight verse 14 the love of christ constraineth us chapter six verses four to seven in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of god in much patience in afflictions in necessities in distresses in labours in watchings in fastings by pureness by knowledge by kindness by the holy ghost by love unfeigned by the power of god galatians chapter two verse twenty i am crucified with christ nevertheless i live yet not i but christ liveth in me and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by the faith of the son of god philippians chapter three verses seven and eight but what things were gain to me those i counted the loss for christ yea doubtless and i count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of christ jesus my lord and do count them but dung that i may win christ colossians chapter 1 verse 29 whereunto i also labour striving according to his working which worketh in me mightily 1 thessalonians chapter 2 verse 2 we were bold in our god to speak unto you the gospel of god with much contention verses 8 9 and 10 being affectionately desirous of you we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of god only but also our own souls because ye were dear unto us for ye remember brethren our labour and travel labouring night and day ye are witnesses and god also how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you and such experiences as these they were that this blessed apostle chiefly comforted himself in the consideration of when he was going to martyrdom to timothy chapter four verses six and seven for i am now ready to be offered 
and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And not only does the most important and distinguishing part of Christian experience lie in spiritual practice, but such is the nature of that sort of exercises of grace wherein spiritual practice consists that nothing is so properly called by the name of experimental religion. For that experience which is in these exercises of grace that are found and proved effectual at the very point of trial wherein God proves which we will actually cleave to whether Christ or our lusts is as has been shown already the proper experiment of the truth and power of our godliness wherein its victorious power and efficacy in producing its proper effect and reaching its end is found by experience this is properly christian experience wherein the saints have opportunity to see by actual experience and trial whether they have a heart to do the will of god and to forsake other things for christ or no as that is called experimental philosophy which brings opinions and notions to the test of fact so is that properly called experimental religion which brings religious affections and intentions to the like test there is a sort of external religious practice wherein is no inward experience which no account is made of in the sight of god but it is esteemed good for nothing and there is what is called experience that is without practice being neither accompanied nor followed with a Christian behaviour, and this is worse than nothing. Many persons seem to have very wrong notions of Christian experience and spiritual light and discoveries. Whenever a person finds within him a heart to treat God as God at the time that he has the trial, and finds his disposition effectual in the experiment, that is the most proper and most distinguishing experience. And to have, at such a time, that sense of divine things that apprehension of the truth, importance and excellency of the things of religion, which then sways and prevails and governs his heart and hands. This is the most excellent spiritual light, and these are the most distinguishing discoveries. Religion consists much in holy affection, but those exercises of affection which are most distinguishing of true religion are these practical exercises. Friendship between earthly friends consists much in affection, but yet those strong exercises of affection that actually carry them through fire and water for each other are the highest evidences of true friendship. There is nothing in what has been said contrary to what is asserted by some sound divines when they say that there are no sure evidences of grace but the acts of grace, for that doth not hinder but that these operative productive acts, those exercises of grace that are effectual in practice, may be the highest evidences above all other kinds of acts of grace. Nor does it hinder but that, when there are many of these acts and exercises following one another in a course, under various trials of every kind, the evidence is still heightened, as one act confirms another. A man, once by seeing his neighbour, may have good evidence of his presence, but by seeing him from day to day, and conversing with him in a course in various circumstances, the evidence is established. The disciples, when they first saw Christ after his resurrection, had good evidence that he was alive, but by conversing with him for forty days, and his showing himself to them alive by many infallible proofs, they had yet higher evidence. The witness or seal of the spirit that we read of 
doubtless consists in the effect of the Spirit of God on the heart, in the implantation and exercises of grace there, and so consists in experience. And it is also, beyond doubt, that this seal of the Spirit is the highest kind of evidence of the saints' adoption that ever they obtain. But in these exercises of grace in practice that have been spoken of, God gives witness, and sets to his seal in the most conspicuous, eminent, and evident manner. It has been abundantly found to be true in fact, by the experience of the Christian Church, that Christ commonly gives by his Spirit the greatest and most joyful evidences to his saints of their sonship in those effectual exercises of grace under trials, which have been spoken of, as is manifest in the full assurance and unspeakable joys of many of the martyrs. Agreeable to that, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 14. If ye are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. And that, in Romans chapter 5 verses 2 and 3, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God and glory in tribulations. And agreeable to what the Apostle Paul often declares of what he experienced in his trials. And when the Apostle Peter, in my text, speaks of the joy unspeakable and full of glory, which the Christians to whom he wrote experienced, he has respect to what they found under persecution, as appears by the context. Christ's thus manifesting himself as the friend and saviour of his saints, cleaving to him under trials, seems to have been represented of old by his coming and manifesting himself to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. And when the Apostle speaks of the witness of the Spirit in Romans chapter 8, verses 15, 16, and 17, he has a more immediate respect to what the Christians experienced in their exercises of love to God in suffering persecution, as is plain by the context. He is, in the foregoing verses, encouraging the Christian Romans under their sufferings that though their bodies be dead because of sin, yet they should be raised to life again. But it is more especially plain by the verse immediately following, verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So the Apostle has evidently respect to their persecutions in all that he says to the end of the chapter. So when the Apostle speaks of the earnest of the Spirit which God had given to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 5, the context shows plainly that he has respect to what was given him in his great trials and sufferings. And in that promise of the white stone and new name to him that overcomes, Revelation chapter 2 verse 17, it is evident Christ has a special respect to a benefit that Christians should obtain by overcoming in the trial they had in that day of persecution. This appears by verse 13 and many other passages in this epistle, to the seven churches of Asia. Objection 2. Some also may be ready to object against what has been said of Christian practice being the chief evidence of the truth of grace that this is a legal doctrine, and that this making practice a thing of such great importance in religion magnifies works, and tends to lead men to make too much of their own doings to the diminution of the glory of free grace and does not seem well to consist with the great gospel doctrine of justification by faith alone. But this objection is altogether without reason. Which way is it inconsistent with the freeness of God's grace that holy practice should be a sign of God's grace? 
It is our works being the price of God's favour, and not there being the sign of it, that is the thing which is inconsistent with the freeness of that favour. Surely, the beggar's looking on the money he has in his hands, as a sign of the kindness of him who gave it to him, is in no respect inconsistent with the freeness of that kindness. It is his having money in his hands, as the price of a benefit, that is the thing which is inconsistent with the free kindness of the giver. The notion of the freeness of the grace of God to sinners, as that is revealed and taught in the gospel, is not that no holy and amiable qualifications or actions in us shall be a fruit, and so a sign of that grace, but that it is not the worthiness or loveliness of any qualification or action of ours which recommends us to that grace. That kindness is shown to the unworthy and unlovely, that there is great excellency in the benefit bestowed, and no excellency in the subject as the price of it. That goodness goes forth and flows out, from the fullness of God's nature, the fullness of the fountain of good, without any amiableness in the object to draw it. And this is the notion of justification without works, as this doctrine is taught in the scripture, that it is not the worthiness or loveliness of our works or anything in us which is in any wise accepted with God as a balance for the guilt of sin or a recommendation of sinners to his acceptance as heirs of life. Thus we are justified only by the righteousness of Christ and not by our righteousness. And when works are opposed to faith in this affair, and it is said that we are justified by faith and not by works, thereby is meant that it is not the worthiness or amiableness of our works or anything in us which recommends us to an interest in Christ and his benefits, but that we have this interest only by faith, or by our souls receiving Christ, or adhering to and closing with him. But that the worthiness or amiableness of nothing in us recommends and brings us to an interest in Christ is no argument that nothing in us is a sign of an interest in Christ. If the doctrines of free grace and justification by faith alone be inconsistent with the importance of holy practice as a sign of grace, then they are equally inconsistent with the importance of anything whatsoever in us as a sign of grace, any holiness or any grace that is in us or any of our experiences of religion. For it is as contrary to the doctrines of free grace and justification by faith alone that any of these should be the righteousness which we are justified by, as that holy practice should be so. It is with holy works as it is with holy qualifications. It is inconsistent with the freeness of gospel grace that a title to salvation should be given to men for the loveliness of any of their holy qualifications as much as that it should be given for the holiness of their works. It is inconsistent with the gospel doctrine of free grace that an interest in Christ and his benefits should be given for the loveliness of a man's true holiness, for the amiableness of his renewed, sanctified, heavenly heart, his love to God, and being like God, or his experience of joy in the Holy Ghost, self-emptiness, a spirit to exalt Christ above all, and to give all glory to him, and a heart devoted unto him. I say, it is inconsistent with the gospel doctrine of free grace, that a title to Christ's benefits should be given out of regard to the loveliness of any of these, or that any of these should be our righteousness in the affair of justification. And yet this does not hinder the importance of these things as evidences of an interest in Christ. Just so it is with respect to holy actions and works. To make light of works, 
because we be not justified by works, is the same thing in effect as to make light of all religion, all grace and holiness, yea, true evangelical holiness, and all gracious experience. For all is included when the scripture says, we are not justified by works. For by works in this case is meant all our own righteousness, religion, or holiness, and everything that is in us, all the good we do, and all the good which we are conscious of, all external acts, and all internal acts, and exercises of grace, and all experiences, and all those holy and heavenly things wherein the life and power and the very essence of religion do consist, all those great things which Christ and his apostles mainly insisted on in their preaching, and endeavoured to promote, as of the greatest consequence in the hearts and lives of men, and all good dispositions, exercises, and qualifications of every kind whatsoever, and even faith itself, considered as a part of our holiness. For we are justified by none of these things, and if we were, we should, in a scripture sense, be justified by works. And therefore, if it be not legal, and contrary to the evangelical doctrine of justification without works, to insist on any of these as of great importance, as evidences of an interest in Christ, then no more is it thus to insist on the importance of holy practice. It would be legal to suppose that holy practice justifies by bringing us to a title to Christ's benefits as the price of it, or as recommending to it by its preciousness or excellence. But it is not legal to suppose that holy practice justifies the sincerity of a believer as the proper evidence of it. The Apostle James did not think it legal to say that Abraham our father was justified by works in this sense. The spirit that indicted the scripture did not think the great importance and absolute necessity of holy practice in this respect to be inconsistent with the freeness of grace, for it commonly teaches them both together. As in Revelation chapter 21 verses 6 and 7, God says, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely, and then adds, in the very next words, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. As though behaving well in the Christian race and warfare were the condition of the promise. So in the next chapter, in the fourteenth and fifteenth verses, Christ says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life, and enter in through the gates into the city, and then declares, in the fifteenth verse, how they that are of a wicked practice shall be excluded. And yet, in the two verses next following, does with very great solemnity give forth an invitation to all to come and take of the water of life freely. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. So, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him, and he with me. But then it is added in the next words, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. And in that great invitation of Christ, Matthew chapter 11, the latter end, Come unto me, all ye that labour, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ adds in the next words, Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, 
for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. As though taking the burden of Christ's service and imitating his example were necessary in order to the promised rest. So in that great invitation to sinners to accept of free grace, Isaiah chapter 55, Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Even there, in the continuation of the same invitation, the sinner's forsaking his wicked practice is spoken of as necessary to the obtaining mercy. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So the riches of divine grace, in the justification of sinners, is set forth with the necessity of holy practice, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 16, etc. Wash ye, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And in that most solemn invitation of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 9, after it is represented what great provision is made, and how that all things were ready, the house built, the beasts killed, the wine mingled, and the table furnished, and the messengers sent forth to invite the guests, then we have the free invitation, verses 4, 5, and 6, Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, i.e. has no righteousness, she saith to him, Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine which I have mingled. But then in the next breath it follows, Forsake the foolish and live, and go in the way of understanding, as though forsaking sin and going in the way of holiness were necessary in order to life so that the freeness of grace and the necessity of holy practice, which are thus from time to time joined together in Scripture, are not inconsistent one with another, nor does it at all diminish the honour and importance of faith that the exercises and effects of faith in practice should be esteemed the chief signs of it, any more than it lessens the importance of life that action and motion are esteemed the chief signs of that. So that, in what has been said of the importance of holy practice as the main sign of sincerity, there is nothing legal, nothing derogatory to the freedom and sovereignty of gospel grace, nothing in the least clashing with the gospel doctrine of justification by faith alone, without the works of the law, nothing in the least tending to lessen the glory of the Mediator and our dependence on his righteousness, nothing infringing on the special prerogatives of faith in the affair of our salvation, nothing in any wise detracting from the glory of god and his mercy or exalting man or diminishing his dependence and obligation so that if any are against such an importance of holy practice as has been spoken of it must be only from a senseless aversion to the letters and sound of the word works when there is no reason in the world to be given for it but what may be given with equal force why they should have an aversion to the words holiness godliness 
grace, religion, experience, and even faith itself. For to make a righteousness of any of these is as legal and as inconsistent with the way of the new covenant as to make a righteousness of holy practice. It is greatly to the hurt of religion for persons to make light of and insist little on those things which the scripture insists most upon, as of most importance in the evidence of our interest in Christ, under a notion that to lay weight on these things is legal and an old covenant way, and so to neglect the exercises and effectual operations of grace in practice, and insist almost wholly on discoveries, and the method and manner of the imminent exercises of conscience and grace in contemplation, Depending on an ability to make nice distinctions in these matters, and a faculty of accurate discerning in them from philosophy or experience, it is in vain to seek for any better or any further signs than those that the scriptures have most expressly mentioned, and most frequently insisted on as signs of godliness. They who pretend to a greater accuracy in giving signs or by their extraordinary experience or insight into the nature of things, to give more distinguishing marks, which shall more thoroughly search out and detect the hypocrite, are but subtle to darken their own minds and the minds of others. Their refinings and nice discerning are, in God's sight, but refined foolishness and a sagacious delusion. Here are applicable those words of Agur, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Our discerning with regard to the hearts of men is not much to be trusted. We can see but a little way into the nature of the soul and the depths of man's heart. The ways are so many whereby persons' affections may be moved without any supernatural influence, the natural springs of the affections are so various and so secret. So many things have oftentimes a joint influence on the affections, the imagination, and that in ways innumerable and unsearchable. Natural temper, education, the common influences of the Spirit of God, a surprising concourse of affecting circumstances, an extraordinary coincidence of things in the course of men's thoughts, together with the subtle management of invisible malicious spirits that no philosophy or experience will ever be sufficient to guide us safely through this labyrinth and maze without our closely following the clue which god has given us in his word god knows his own reasons why he insists on some things and plainly sets them forth as the things that we should try ourselves by rather than others it may be it is because he knows that these things are attended with less perplexity, and that we are less liable to be deceived by them than others. He best knows our nature, and he knows the nature and manner of his own operations, and he best knows the way of our safety. He knows what allowances to make for different states of his church, and different tempers of particular persons, and varieties in the manner of his own operations, how far nature may resemble grace, and how far nature may be mixed with grace what affections may rise from imagination, and how far imagination may be mixed with spiritual illumination. And therefore it is our wisdom not to take his work out of his hands, but to follow him, and lay the stress of the judgment of ourselves there where he has directed us. If we do otherwise, 
No wonder if we are bewildered, confounded, and fatally deluded. But if we had got into the way of looking chiefly at those things which Christ and his apostles and prophets chiefly insisted on, and so in judging of ourselves and others, chiefly regarding practical exercises and effects of grace, not neglecting other things, it would be of manifold happy consequence. It would, above all things, tend to the conviction of deluded hypocrites, and to prevent the delusion of those whose hearts were never brought to a thorough compliance with the straight and narrow way which leads to life. It would tend to deliver us from innumerable perplexities arising from the various inconsistent schemes there are about methods and steps of experience. It would greatly tend to prevent professors neglecting strictness of life and tend to promote their engagedness and earnestness in their Christian walk, and it would become fashionable for men to show their Christianity, more by an amiable distinguished behaviour than by an abundant and excessive declaring their experiences, and we should get into the way of appearing lively in religion, more by being lively in the service of God and our generation than by the liveliness and forwardness of our tongues and making a business of proclaiming on the housetops with our mouths the holy and eminent acts and exercises of our own hearts, and Christians that are intimate friends would talk together of their experiences and comforts in a manner better becoming Christian humility and modesty, and more to each other's profit, their tongues not running before, but rather going behind their hands and feet, after the prudent example of the blessed Apostle, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 6 and many occasions of spiritual pride would be cut off, and so a great door shut against the devil, and a great many of the main stumbling blocks against experimental and powerful religion would be removed, and religion would be declared and manifested in such a way that, instead of hardening spectators and exceedingly promoting infidelity and atheism, would, above all things, tend to convince men that there is a reality in religion, and greatly awaken them, and win them, by convincing their consciences of the importance and excellency of religion. Thus the light of professors would so shine before men that others, seeing their good works, would glorify their Father, which is in heaven. End of section 24 of part 3 Recording by Matthew James Gray mjgray.id.au End of Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards